How many of you are, are fishermen? So that there's sort of fishermen in the passage. Yeah, there you go. Just give you a legitimate. I definitely not. Terrible at it. But uh, if we were to go around asking stories, my guess is there'd be a few of you that could share some good stories about being caught in bad weather. No? Yes? I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. The, I feel like the key emotion of this passage is a lot to do with fear, okay? The disciples' fear for their lives. And, and I think the, the striking thing about the story is even after Jesus calms the storm, uh, the disciples' fear doesn't go away. It actually gets worse. They're not really relieved that the storm stops. They're more afraid. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, big question in this passage is the one the disciples ask in uh, verse 40 or verse 41. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And that's probably the most important question that we could ask. Who is this, really? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And that question dominates the whole book of Mark as we've been going through it uh, the last few weeks and, and several weeks going forward. But that's the second question of two questions that I want to look at this morning. The first question is back at the beginning. We're right between two pages. But the first question is in verse 38. They woke Jesus and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? So two questions. The first one is, Jesus, don't you care? And the second one is, who is this? The first question deals with a really big fear, which is the fear of death. Right, Jesus, don't you care? And the second is about Jesus' identity. Who, who are you? What is this really about? And uh, in both questions, you get some interesting answers to who God is, but also who we are. Who God is, his character, but also who are you and what's that to do with you and me in my life? Jesus, don't you care? And who is this anyway? So, that's where we're heading. What's been going on? Well, Jesus has been teaching. If you look ahead or backwards up the page, uh, chapter 4, lots of red letters. You have red letter Bible. Lots of Jesus talking. There's been lots of parables, crowds, and now it's getting dark. Uh, it says, evening has come, verse 35. And Jesus says, disciples, let's head to the other side. So, he initiates this. Right? He gets this whole episode going. Let's head over. And look at verse 36. They leave the crowds, and they, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. So Jesus drops into this boat, uh, utterly exhausted. Just spent. He's, and it's important for us to know that Jesus is human. Like, really human. He's as exhausted as you and I would be after a day of... Imagine you're public speaking all day. Like, uh, this is enough for me to come up and do, like, you know, good, kind of half an hour or whatever it is. I, I'm done. Sarah will tell you, I'll go home. I'm, I'm just done. I'm finished. Take a nap. It doesn't, doesn't happen. But uh, it's, it's exhausting. Imagine doing that all day, right? And some of you know what it's like to work like a good, solid day, you know, a good day's work. And you come home at night and, uh, you know, whatever it might be, maybe you have to have a shower, you eat supper, and your head hits the pillow, and you're just done. You're gone, right? You're exhausted. I remember when I worked with tree nursery, some of the summer, I just felt this way. 
you'd be up early and, and get to bed early so you get up again the next day. You'd just be done. It's something you know that's like, that's where Jesus is at in this passage. He's just spent. It's been a long day of public speaking and teaching and questions and answers and I'm sure all sorts of things. It's, it's likely he hasn't eaten. It's clear he hasn't rested, right? He's tired. And he immediately falls into this really deep sleep. And uh, some of you definitely know what that's like. Folks, he has a Jesus has a body just like we do. He knows what it means to be human. He knows what it's like to have a lack of sleep. Some of you with young kids, uh, some of us together with the young kids, all, we're all like, yeah, lack of sleep. Thank you, Jesus. You know what it's like. And now this storm comes up, and uh, the water's pouring into the boat, and here's Jesus sleeping on a cushion or a pillow, which is this great kind of little eyewitness detail, right? Totally superfluous to the story. But someone's telling it, and we get that detail written down. No, he's sleeping on the, you know, sleeping on the boat cushion. And he'd be getting wet. The water's coming in. Jesus is getting wet. He's so tired, he doesn't even wake up from it, right? And he's getting soaked. And the guys are bailing, and it just, it's starting to get out of control. Here's a few things about the Sea of Galilee, if you know, when it comes to the storm. I have this really cool, um, so maybe you know, mission suit. You know, they usually sit right there. That's their spot. It's empty. Coming back. You can sit there behind you. So they get here before you, they'll be there. And uh, Mitch makes uh, wooden lakes that show the really sort of relief of the lake, like the depths, the water depth. And they're really cool. So if you're ever in my office, uh, he made me a Sea of Galilee one that's hanging on my wall. And what's neat about the Sea of Galilee is this little lake, it's not super big. Um, but on the eastern side specifically, there's really, really high cliffs. I think it's something like 2,000 feet, but don't quote me on that. Really, really high cliffs. And the water is quite it's below sea level, so it's 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 really warm and sort of temperate here on the surface. And then over on the east side, you have really high cliffs, so you've got cool air. And uh, as you may know, those of you who kind of think about how this stuff works, I have no idea how this works. I was researching it. Uh, you've got cold air happening up here and warm air happening here. And the cold air comes down and hits the warm air, and you create all sorts of temperature and pressure situations, and all sorts of stuff happens, right? So it's, it's known that on the Sea of Galilee, storms can come up super quickly because of this pressure change of the drop of the, the wind coming off the, the hilltop, off the cliffside. And uh, I was watching a video. You can watch this on YouTube. It's hilarious. If you look up storm on the Sea of Galilee, or something to that effect, there's this guy, you'll find this guy, and uh, he's standing on the beach, and it's really rainy and windy. He's like, we're at the Sea of Galilee, and there's a storm coming up, just like in the Bible. And like, this is what it would have been like, right? And like, Jesus would have been going like this. And then at the bottom, as he's talking, he just says, wait for it. <laughs> and he's talking, he's like, yeah, that'd be really cool. And then this thunder cockpit just goes, boom! And the camera goes down, and they start running, and they're laughing. Just laughing the whole time. He's like, oh, it's just like in the Bible, you know? So it's true, and the, the waves go crazy. And those that have survived storms, they say, even on that small lake, the waves can get up to five or ten feet because of the chaotic water. So it can come up really fast, which is cool, um, but incredibly dangerous, incredibly dangerous. And so in the middle of all that commotion, big boom, and the lightning, and the thunder, and the rain, and the waves, and all that, Jesus is asleep. Um, now remember, some of these guys are like professional fishermen, right? Like this is what they do. This is their whole, this is their thing. They know this lake. Right? Like some of you know Bobby. You just know where to go. There's that reef. There's that thing. That's where we lost the anchor, you know. 
That's where splints go jump out. You know, like all kinds of stuff. This is where we go when we frozen. This is where we go ice fishing. This is where we set up our little ice fishing chat. Right? You, you know the lake. These guys knew the lake. Some of them, like two of these guys are called Sons of Thunder. Like these are like burly dudes, you know? They're like, you know, like getting like they're berry, they're like bearded, they're like, you know, unsavory. They've got like jigs in their beards. Like, you know, like they're they're intense. They're burly guys, they're rough guys. And in the middle of all of this, they're afraid. If these guys are afraid, you know it's a big deal, right? This is like if you're a professional like truck driver guy. And you're going through bad weather, and like most of the time you can handle it because you know what to do, and then it gets serious, and you get nervous, and the people with you would know now it's bad because he's worried. Make that kind of thing, right? They're in the middle of all this, and they look back, and Jesus is sleeping. And I think when they say, Dear teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? I think they're upset. Like, I don't think this is a calm, like, hey, Jesus, don't you care? <laughs> Really bad. No. Uh, Jesus, you know, don't you care? <laughs> right? And kind of the idea is like, we've seen you do miracles, we've seen you heal people, we've seen the exorcisms. What good is all that if we're just going to die? Right? Teacher. They call him teacher, right? Like, yeah, you're good with words. Get a bucket. What are you going to do about this? Right? You're going to talk your way to this one. Like, no. Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care? That's, that's, these, aren't, these aren't polite words. These are sort of stern, sort of like sailor words. Right? Do something. Right? That's what this is. Folks, they're dealing with the, the basis of human fears. Right? So much of our own anxieties and fears in life, if you're kind of rooting them, trace them back down, often they have to do with our own debts. Often they do. Even if you're not afraid of dying yourself, you might, you might be afraid of someone around you. Right? You're worried. You don't like thinking about that. My grandma passed away two weeks ago or so, and we were talking about it some family afterwards, you know, how it went, whatnot, and, and about uh, where she's buried and different things. Even doing this right now, some of you are getting antsy. And uh, anyway, we were talking, and my uncle said, okay, I think we're done talking about this. Right? This, this, this is uncomfortable for you. Yeah, but it's, it's awkward. A lot of us don't want to talk about that. But death, folks, it, it exposes where our faith really is. And that's what's happening with these disciples here. And it's also, this is a bit of an accusation, I think. Like, don't you care, Jesus? Don't you actually care, right? And underneath that is kind of the assumption, well, you don't care. You don't care. You don't have the power. That's the thought, right? And if we're honest, folks, I think, I think a lot of us have had that suspicion before, right? God, do you really care about this? Do you really, really, do you really care? Because there's moments, folks, where God, that doesn't seem like he really cares very much, hey? Really honest. I'm sure you've had moments in your life where it felt like he wasn't very there, and you didn't really seem to be paying attention. You felt very alone. I know I felt that way. Well, there's a real sort of threat in our lives, folks. These sorts of questions come up. Like, is God, is God really good? Can He really help? Folks, if there's storms in your life right now, maybe in your marriage, with your kids, you have kids, or if you're not married, you don't have family, maybe regarding work or 
relationships you have, maybe your own health or your, your finances or something. Uh, it's easy to get overwhelmed by that, right? And uh, sometimes we can be praying about that, and it just feels like there isn't a good response. Where's God in that? Right? Don't you care? Don't you care? And it's like Jesus is asleep. It's like he doesn't seem to care. So when you're in that place of feeling really alone, that God's not answering, know that you're in good company with the disciples. They know what God's like to you. Uh, God loves me so much, as people keep saying, why do I find myself in strong things? It's another good question. And I'm reminded of uh, Psalm 10. Psalm 10, verse 1 starts, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you stand far away? Why are you over there? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Why are you hiding yourself, God? You're supposed to be here. And the song goes on. It starts with this place of feeling abandoned, really lonely. But as you trace the song, as you walk through the song, it doesn't stay there. I think, folks, that's the, that's the real hope for us in this first question of does God care? Sometimes we can be sitting in that place of where you see really far away. We're in a Psalm 10, verse 1. Place. We're in the bailing the boat in the place. But as you get to the end of Psalm 10, it ends like this. The psalmist declares, The Lord is king forever and ever. O Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted, and you will strengthen their hearts. So in the in the verse one moments of our lives, it may feel like God's distance the boat. As you lean into him, as you press into him, as you trust in him, as you ask the Lord, don't you care kind of questions, as you ask the disciple questions. Folks, he turns out. He's never been gone. And those of us that have been in the place of Lord, you seem far away, can testify of coming to a place of saying, No, Lord, you do hear the desires of the afflicted. You do strengthen our hearts. You not feel like it when we're over here, but we've lived it out and we've seen it here. If you ask the disciples as they're bailing, where's God? They'll tell you he seems pretty far. But as they lean into him and as they press into him and as they maybe with faltering faith ask, hey, won't you do something? He does show up. Of course, Jesus was never gone, right? He's there. He's there and he knows. In fact, Seems like he's, like I said at the beginning, he's instigated this. Hey, he's the one that said, hey, let's go over. We get into a whole conversation about why does God let bad things happen and all that. We don't have time to get into all that this morning. But in this case, in this text, uh, this morning, this calming the storm episode, sometimes I think Jesus lets things happen. So we'll learn not to be trusting ourselves, but to put our trust in. And it seems in this case the disciples have to come to grips with the fear of death, right? And to say, at the end of the day, I can't save myself. No amount of bailing is getting out of this. Right? No amount of trying on your own is going to actually save you folks. Lots of you know that. But it's only about coming to Jesus. 
He's the only one that calms the storm. So what happens? Well, he wakes up, of course. And really simple words, he rebukes the wind and the sea. Peace be still. It's really polite. It's really polite. Like super gentle. It's it's much more like like be quiet and settle in and shut up. That's kind of what it sounds like. The kids are not sorry. That's, that's basically what it is. That's what it is. This is really polite. Be quiet. Be still, surely. Kind of gentle. Um, he just tells them, tells it. The wind ceases. There's a great calm. Folks, there's nothing that's too much for God. Right? And if you ask that question, does he care for a perishing? Yeah. And we'll see. That's exactly why he's come. That's exactly why he's come. Jesus, don't you care? Yeah, of course he cares. But once Jesus does intervene, as we move on to the second question now, not the do you care question, but who is this question? Look at verse 39. Look at the right way through. Peace be still, the wind ceased. There is a great calm. And then he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. They're, fear, they're filled with like mega fear, right? This is really fear. They said to one another, don't say this to Jesus. I think that's funny. They're like whispering this to one another as they get going in the boat again. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Folks, by the end of this passage, verse 41, their fear of death gets replaced with an even larger fear, which is the fear of God himself. And then you notice when you read this passage, Jesus actually doesn't address the disciples. Uh, when, he, when they ask him, do you care for parachute? He doesn't address them. He addresses the storm, which is interesting. He talks to them after the storm, um, but he talks to the storm first. And um, it, like I said, so direct, right? Stillness and silence. Just stop, be quiet, be still. When you get into immediate obedience and creation to the word of God. And the disciples rightfully get what that should be. Right? They're Jews, and they know Genesis 1. Right? There's only one person, there's only one being who can tell the wind and the sea what to do. It's not some rabbi with special powers. There's only one being who can do this. This is Yahweh. This is God himself does this. And if this guy, this Jesus, can tell the wind and the sea what to do, and what does that mean? Right? That's why they're so afraid. This is God Himself is in the boat. They had no idea. That's why they feel this even greater fear. Right? And just like in Genesis 1, if you think back to Genesis 1, you've got the, the sort of watery chaos. Right? The chaos is not picture as sort of a watery, primordial something around it. And the Holy Spirit sort of brooding over us, this picture we get creation comes, this idea that God is sort of um, keeping the chaos sort of this far and over and uh, you know, sort of watching, hovering over it, and then brings order to it, right? Sort of got the chaos at bay, and then speaks to it, and order and life and beauty come out of it. That's exactly what you have going on here in Mark, right? You've got the chaotic waters, and then the word of God speaks, you get order and stillness. This is not lost over the seconds. Right? They know what this is. You and I read this, and it's like, hey, nice miracle, Jesus. Cool. 
nature mirror. Yep, healing, exorcism, nature mirror. Perfect. But notice how this sort of reaction doesn't come out when they're healing. Jesus is healing people, they don't ask this question. Right? When they exercise the demons, he doesn't ask this question. It's this one that says Why? Because only Yahweh does this. So who is it in the boat? Right? Who is it in the boat? Their fears were placed in the was a sort of awe of God. As I was listening to one of our pastors in Vancouver, David Short, uh, he said this about when we come face to face with God. I think it was really good. He says, he says, if you think about whenever God appears to humans in the Bible, the first reaction is this, this deep sense of the infinite chasm between God and us. And the immediate knowledge that here is a goodness we know nothing about. And deep down we realize I'm fundamentally not a good person. <laughs> I've lived my life for all sorts of things, but here's the one who deserves my love and my worship. When God, folks, when God reveals himself, he both exposes our weakness and our sin, but he also invites us to himself by his love and his beauty at the same time. So you have this moment of fear the disciples realizing the death of their own sinfulness before God, and also the invitation of love to sit, to come, to remain there, which is fantastic. And folks, that's what happens when we encounter Jesus. There's both this sense of my own lostness, my own sin, how much I need him, but also this love, this embrace that he calls to God to be forgiven to be cleansed. So we're, we're struck, the disciples are struck here, and we are struck as well, or should be at least, by our own weakness and our own foolishness, but also by, by God's goodness and His glory all at the same time. With the depth of how much I need Him, but also the joy of finding the one I so desperately need. So who's this? Who is this? Well, it's God Himself. In a few weeks, two weeks, I think, we're going to get to the passage of the, the girl who dies, and Jesus comes and speaks a word and, and brings her back to life. And Mark, Mark's building this up, right? Who is this? And he's getting this all along the way. But what you get here is Jesus, Jesus is stronger than death, right? In the end, Jesus can drive a, the, a, a death away with a word, and he can drive the, the storm away by a word. But in the end, Jesus is the one who dies. Right? And it's not because death is stronger than him. It's not because he can't control it or he can't uh, turn it back. But it's because he chooses to lay his life down. No power can take his life away from us. Only he can lay it down. What possible reason, you might say, this is the one who can still the storm, this is the one who can turn back death, what possible reason could he have to lay his life down? He does it for you. He does it for you because he cares for you. That's why he does it. He doesn't have to. He chooses to lay it down. And folks, the only way for him to defeat the power of death is to give himself over to it, to let it exhaust its power on him. And so Jesus purposely enters the depths of death very core of death, and he defeats it there. And folks, it's only by 
and just eating death for us, that he can then offer us forgiveness and life and hope. And he's ended its power. When God raises Jesus from the dead, he's showing us that death's been defeated. Right? And now there's like a, a doorway in that. You can come through Jesus and out the other end and find redemption and hope and life. It's by coming to Jesus as the Son of God. He's the one that's defeated it. And that's why that first question, Jesus, don't you care? I think that's such an affront to Jesus. It's like, yeah, this is exactly why it's not. Jesus, don't you care? Yeah. This is the whole point. This is why he's entered the world, folks, is because he loves us. He doesn't want any of us to perish. Folks, he knows every way you can survive your life. And that's the point. I think, I think the point of the story is to sort of shake us up, I think, is that Jesus wants us to see that he's the one with the power over every threat and every storm and over death itself. And he's gone through death and out the other end because of his love for you. Folks, when we place, when we place our faith in him, it doesn't mean that the storms necessarily automatically just disappear. Those of you that have been walking with Jesus for years, you know that. Right? Just because you love him and he's in your life doesn't mean and suddenly it's a bowl of cherries and it's easy going. But what it does mean is our great fear, our fear of death, fear of failing, our fear of losing, whatever that might be, our fear of not having purpose of meaning, that fear gets replaced by a greater fear and awe relationship with Jesus. And so the fear that you and I might hold whatever storm's going on lives of every storm. Maybe you're not in a storm, but we thank God for that. I mean, the storm will come, whether it's good sailing right now or not. But in the middle of that, we can hold on to the fear of our careers, losing it, our families, our finances, our health, whatever that may be. You can hold on to that fear. Or you can let it go and put your faith and your trust in Jesus and let Him be the greater fear in that sense, the greater one that you rely on, that you're looking to. Because he's defeated death. And he's promised life and goodness for us. Folks, he loves you. Loves you, loves you, loves you. So whether you're in the middle of a major storm, whatever that might be, maybe you're facing decisions or medical issues or something like that, I don't know. You can trust in your own strength to bail, or you can turn to Jesus. And some of you are already turned and you're, you're saying, Lord, would you wake up and help out in this? And maybe he doesn't explain this coming. I remind you of Psalm 10, Psalm 10 1, the moment where you feel his distance. But over time, as you live this out, as you lean into him, as you continue to trust in him, I promise you, he will reveal himself. He will assure you of his presence. He will strengthen your hearts.